I want to ask you a question. Are you more prone to move away from consequences, okay, the consequences in your life you're moving away from, or are you more prone to move toward rewards? We did this little kind of exercise at our staff retreat, and the whole idea was that somehow in a, some people are, are wired in such a way that when they, they have consequences and rewards before them, consequences drive them into good things. And there are other people, consequences don't matter too much. What really pulls them, draws them into good things are rewards. So with that in mind, you might be thinking about what that is. We did a whole bunch of questions that gave us some ideas of where we fell on that scale between moving away and moving toward. First, for those who like rewards, let me put it this way. To really know God's ways. To experience God's work in your life. You need to know God's word. The reward of being aware of what God is calling us to and then seeing that work through our lives. That reward requires knowing God's word. Now, for those of you who are more prone to move away from consequences. Let me put it this way. If you don't know God's word. You choose to say it doesn't really matter. You know what? Yeah, I. I. Got about six of these laying around. You won't know God's ways. You won't experience God's work in your life. The things that could be will be far less. The things that you end up in will bring great pain. Well, listen to the story of the life of Christ. He has some Sadducees come to him. And you need to understand at this point, it's at the very near the end of, of Christ's life, that last week or so. And, and there were a group of questions that were being brought to him, all in a purpose in, in many ways to trap him, especially the first one was brought by some Pharisees and Herodians, a group of people that would never be seen in the same camp together. But because Jesus was such a threat to them, they came and they came with this, you know, kind of like a pitcher um, making a pitch. They came with this fastball question, thinking they would run it by him and he would be trapped and he'd be, you know, in problems. He they set him up with these words, you're a man of integrity, you're not swayed by men, you teach God's way in accordance with the truth. These are all things they're setting him up and then they throw the fastball. So is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, with a good quick swing, hits it out of the park, says, um, yeah, you know what, you see, give me a coin. You see in that coin, there's an image there. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And, and as you think about this, there's also an image in your heart, give to God what is God's. And they were stunned. So he knocked it out of the park. And then the Sadducees come up in line next, and they're a group of priests and aristocrats who, who they don't really take the Bible literally. There's a part of the Bible they really believe in, and that's the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. In, 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 in the Torah, they believe that's the eternal Word of God. There's just a number of other beliefs they don't believe. One of them is simply they don't believe in the afterlife. And so they come with Jesus and they give this kind of pitch, this change up, but a kind of a slow hanging curve. And, and, and they set it up and they say, you know, it says in, in, in the book of Moses, it says that, that if a, a woman gets married to a man and this man um, dies before they can have children, he, it's required. The eternal law of God says the brother is to marry her and provide her with children. But if he dies and, and all of a sudden he can't provide her with children, he's supposed to have. And they said, what if seven brothers come along and all of them marry her and none of them leave her with a child? 
You know, here's how ludicrous it is, isn't it, Jesus? This slow-hanging curve as they put it in there. And they go, this isn't ludicrous that you could even think of an afterlife because honestly, who's, whose wife would she be if there's an afterlife? And uh, they kind of say, well, what would you do, Jesus? If, if it was me, I think I would say call CSI because you must have some misogynist serial killer on your hands, right? But Jesus has a profound answer. His answer, he kind of cuts right to the core. And, and, he, and he basically says, are you not in error because, listen to this, you do not know scriptures or the power of God. Why don't you get this, you guys? And he goes on, he says, you know, we understand in, when it comes to the afterlife, we're going to be more like angels where we don't marry. And then he goes on to say, in fact, when it comes to the afterlife, even in the Old Testament, the Torah, the books of Moses, when Moses was standing at the burning bush, God says to him, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. He basically says, I'm not the God of the dead, says Jesus. I'm the God of the living. And then catch these words. He says, you're badly mistaken. Why? Because you don't know the word. How do you know the ways of God if you don't know the word? And beyond that, he doesn't say you don't know the word. He says you don't know the power of God. You don't know the works of God that can come into your life and transform you and transform those around you. So the word is so important. And so we're going to take just a, a few moments and look at the ways the work of God can influence you and make a difference in your life. And we're going to look at two of them right now, and then we'll do some worship, and, and then we'll kind of look at a couple more, and, and the service will be broken up that way, and we'll end it with communion. God's Word is powerful. In fact, it tells us that God's Word is so powerful that it is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We just thought we would use this idea of a knife, which has, I can't even get it back in, it's some kind of hunting knife, and I don't hunt. So anyway, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The message says it this way. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying open us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's Word. We can't get away from it no matter what. God's Word is so powerful that if you allow it into your life, it can transform your life. It has the ability to cut away those things which keep you from truly being the person God wants you to be. It's able to get into the intentions of your heart and say, this is what's behind these actions. The Word of God, if you take it and you, you actually allow it to become a part of your life, it is active and powerful. Its Word is so great that when the Word comes to you, activated by your faith, it can do things in your life. It can actually, according to the Word of God and what you see in the life of Jesus, it heals. The Word of God, when activated with faith, can begin to transform your marriage. It can transform your own personal work life. It can transform you. But if you don't know it, you'll continue to carry on the same mistakes over and over again. And not only is it powerful, we're told the Word of God is also purifying. Um, this idea that it is like a, a, something, you, you get it dirty, and, and, and as you put it in water, it has the ability to get that which has been stained or dirty clean. 
You think of, a, of your own washer and you throw that stuff in there and how that water lifts and separates the threads. There's a word that tells us that in Ephesians, it's, it's a bunch of instructions on how to live practically what he has been just talking about doctrinally, his teaching. And now he gives, here's some practical application. He's talking to husbands. And at one point he says, husbands, guys, I, I, I want you to love your wives. In that culture, in that day, they understood the idea of leading. In fact, so much so oppressively that he said, you know, here's the real thing for you guys. You've got to learn how to, how to really love. And he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for sacrifice in order to make you and me holy people in the eyes of God, pure before him. We know we're not pure. But we know that when we put our life into Christ, Christ begins to purify. He washes us clean of all our sins, both past, present, and future. And God now looks at us as holy. Now here's the words that I want you to catch. So he's, I want you to give yourself in the maker holy just as Jesus does. But here's the words. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, like this wash basin. The idea is that your sacrificial love, like Jesus' sacrificial love, presents this one you love without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. The word he uses is radiant. It's kind of like this white bride's dress that is completely pressed and completely white. There's this idea that the work of God, he's saying, guys, and, and I'm just going to use this illustration, we'll get a little further in a second, but the idea is just simply this, that as you love, you have the ability to take, in a sense, in, in, in the life of someone else, when you love someone else, maybe at work or in some other places, when you love your spouse, guys, you have the ability in those places where it's been folded and it's been wrinkled and there's been a stain of sin, their own choice, or maybe some injury that has happened as a result of a sin against them. Your love has the ability through God's Word as it's activated to begin to lift and to separate and actually remove those stains and those wrinkles so that out of this ability of love as it's washed with the Word, as the Word comes, it begins to bring transformation in the lives of people around you. I think of that, and I just um, am amazed that if we allow this Word, and, and, and I'm just going to quickly share with you the word it uses here for the washing of the Word. There's two words in the Greek. A lot of times this happens in the Greek. There's a couple of words, and in the English we only have one. For instance, we think of time in English, and that's the only way we think of it. In the Greek, they have the word chronos and the word kairos. The word chronos is chronological. It's, it's every moment, every day, every month, every year. It's the span of time. And then they use the word kairos, which is critical or opportune time. That within the span of time, there are times where there's an opportunity for, for you and for God to act in a situation that can transform it. So that Jesus would say, my hour has come. This hour where God would come in a way to transform us, to bring his sacrificial life to us that we might live. Well, in the Greek, the same thing is true also with this word, word. There's the word logos, which refers to the Bible itself. And then there's the word rhema. The washing with the word here is the word rhema. Rhema is this idea of the word that comes to you combined with love, that when it comes, it actually goes in and it does. That's what it says here. It creates holiness. It creates purity. It creates life. And if you don't know it, it can't be lodged in your heart, so it can't move. To activate faith with power, it can't move along with love to bring purity. 
or maybe by reward, if you want to know this kind of life with your spouse and with others, where you begin to see the Word of God with power come into your life, and this Word of God with love to bring purity, you need to know God's Word. I'm going to ask you to listen and, and worship as well in just a moment here. And I'm... Have you noticed over the last few years, as you are driving down our roadways, there's just a number of places, and it seems to be more and more this is happening. Instead of guardrails, you have these little cuts and notches in the side of the road, right? You've seen those, you know, there's the white line, and then there's like one series of these notches so that as you're going along, if you kind of are drifting and losing your, you know, your attention or you're falling asleep, you'll kind of veer over, and all of a sudden you hear the bum, 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 You want me to do that again? <laughs> Pretty impressive. You want to try it? You see, the whole idea is that it's to keep you in the center, going in a certain direction to protect you. God's Word is to guard like a fence. We, we see God's Word holding us in. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1-4 through 4 says this, This is the commandment, the rules, and the regulations that God your God commanded me, says Moses, to teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross into possess. These are the rules, these are regulations, these are the things that if you stay within them, you will experience well this life. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God, lifelong observing all His rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, and you and your children and your grandchildren living good, long lives. Listen obediently, Israel. Listen obedient, Israel. Don't just listen, but listen obediently. And do what you're told so that you'll have a good life and a life of abundance and bounty just as God promised. The Living Bible says it this way. Listen closely to each command and be careful to obey it so that you and that it will go well with you. Just like those, bar, those bumps on the side of the road, when you know God's Word, you're able to know His ways, and as you walk in His ways, you begin to walk into the works of those things, and in those works are good things. Exodus 20 is a family of Israel. He's beginning their journey. They stop, and at a certain point, you know how kids fight one another in a family. Kind of, I was just talking to my dad the other day. We were talking about when we went to California one time. He surprised us, and we were all full of adrenaline because we were thinking we were going to Madison, Wisconsin, and we ended up going to Disney World. And long story short, we were a mess, my brother and I. He's two years older. And I remember at one time on the busy highway of Los Angeles pulling over to the side of the road. And my dad looking at us going, if you don't stop it, we're turning around right here and going home. And I'm thinking to myself, you will never, ever turn around right here and go home. <laughs> but we didn't. Exodus 20 says, you know, as a community, you need to live together well. So he gives us ten laws. These ten laws are simple things. It says, you know, don't put yourself ahead of me, which means don't put sex or money or power or prestige or popularity or, or anything before me. And then there's some other things. He says, they're really good in a community. If you're going to be a community that's healthy, don't steal. That's a good thing. Don't kill one another. That's usually a good thing. Well, these are not like top shelf kind of ideas, Right. Don't don't want what the other person has. Want what you have. And uh, don't take someone else's spouse. 
I mean, those are, those are simple, basic rules. If you stay within, it will create some health. And so then, as Dick Folt said a few weeks ago, that Jesus kind of realized that it was too hard to all those Ten Commands, so he just whittled them down to two. He said, love God and love others. There is something in that that brings protection and brings health and brings life. God's Word is here to protect you. And we live in a culture that's constantly wanting to move outside of that with all kinds of things that destroy our lives. I mean, you think about it. There was a time when credit cards became new and, and it was all about, you know, you just get spending money on credit and then people find themselves in credit, they find themselves in debt and they find themselves imprisoned by it. We have, a, we have a movement in our culture today. I mean, you really look at it. Just live with someone else. It doesn't really matter. You get married. But the Word of God is pretty clear. There's reasons. And you can establish some of those things. That there's just all those kind of things. We live in a culture today that, that is, is dividing our nation politically. So you can turn on Fox News or CNN and it's just tearing the soul of our nation apart. You live in a world, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to make a stand on immigration, but it doesn't really matter. People are people. How do we love even those around us? The Word of God is given to give us some protection so that we can live within it and it will go well with us. But the Word of God also guides. The Word of God is like a light, and um, there's lots of ways to look at the light, but you know, here is, let's see if I can get this one on. It tells us within His Word that um, it's like a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. If we were to turn off all the lights, it would be amazing how this one light would give some ability to see, right? So let me think and ask you a question. How many decisions do you think you make in a day? Just think for a second. How many decisions do you think you make daily? And I'll pare it down. I'll say, let's take out what I would call the unconscious rote decisions, like turning on a light and, and like maybe turning the car on and, and just pulling out of the driveway. You know, there's a lot of what I call unconscious rote Like getting out of bed. How many is it a conscious or unconscious decision? Yeah, right. It's all conscious. Okay. So how many of those conscious decisions do you think you make? Go ahead and just tell someone next to you. Tell them how many you think you make in a day. Okay. Shout out a couple. Okay. Here's the truth. I don't even know. I just thought I'd ask. Um, I did actually try to look it up, and they get all over the board. Uh, some say a thousand. I'm thinking to myself, I bet we make more than that. Just think if there's only two or three critical ones you make in a day. And the Word of God is basically saying, I don't only want to protect you so you can in, in, in have the best life, it'll go well with you, but I want to be with you in your life. I want the Word of God, I want you to eat it, I want you to digest it, I want you to be a part of you, I want you to meditate on it. I want it to become so much a part of you that as you grow, it causes maturity. Because the best kind of decisions, the wisest decisions, are made of people who have character and maturity. And God says, I want this Word in your life so that you can grow up and become like Jesus Himself. And as you grow, in that way through those simple choices again and again that produce character you also will produce and make good and wise choices throughout your life and beyond that God even says when you go through difficult times my word will be like a light unto your path I will guide you I will direct you Jesus he spent time in his word alone and I went through this because Jesus himself thought it was important Went through this a few weeks ago, and I'm just quickly just share with you again how he got away. He meditated so the Word would become a part of his life so that he could make good decisions. Early in the morning, it says in Mark 1.35, while it was still dark, before daylight savings time, Jesus got up. Didn't you like the extra hour of sleep? 
Amen. Anyway, before it was, well, at least where was it? Still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed and he meditated on the Word of God. And then Luke just puts a string of these verses together. It's amazing how this habit was so important in his life to bring guidance because he believed God's Word. But there's something else as you go through this. We're also told that Jesus was committed to God's Word in community with people. He didn't just do it alone. He did it with others. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 16, it says he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, which was their Sunday, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And what's really amazing is Jesus was committed to doing this on a weekly basis with other people. And then you give a whole string of verses there as well, where you can see again and again, Jesus is customarily, habitually spending his week and then coming in before God. You know, what I think is interesting is that for some of us here, you know, it may it may be a huge stretch where you're in your life right now to even move to a place of having a, a time alone with God's word. But one of the things maybe for some of you, maybe it's just new in your faith. One of the best commitments you can make is say, I'm going to consistently, routinely be in this place to worship God, to hear his word so that at least I can be established once a week. And then eventually reading God's word daily is, is kind of the self-feeding program. Because when you do this together, something happens. I think about it. Can you imagine as a parent? I had a child in hockey and, you know, they had and I actually coach it. And you had these rules that said, if you don't show up for practice, you don't play. Right. <laughs> what if God said you don't show up for practice? You're not playing through the week. Seriously, think about it. In our culture today, we got our values so messed up. We go, boy, physical training and health is good for some things. But what about your spiritual development if you want to be guided? I just ask you to give some thought to that. And, 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 and I want you to think of it in this way. Because as I said last week, if Jesus' word, if this word, if Jesus is reliable, and he said the, and the Gospels are reliable, and Jesus thought the whole Old Testament was reliable, and the whole Scripture was, according to the apostles, then let's say it's a trustworthy thing. Then the question I want to ask you, if this is a trustworthy source, is do you believe God is smarter than you? Anybody? Can you imagine a child coming to Rembrandt, a four-year-old, saying, let me show you how to paint, buddy. Can you, can you imagine a 14-year-old bouncing the ball and Michael Jordan goes, yeah, I could help you on that. And he goes, no, that's okay. I don't know, you know who you are anyway, right, 14-year-old. Anyway, or 24 can't handicap telling Tiger Woods, you know, you don't need to help me on my swing. I'm, I'm really just fine the way it is. And for us, honestly saying, God, you know, thanks. Appreciate this book. Appreciate your word. I got a hold of my life here. Don't know if I really need that. Think about it. Are you smarter than God? His word has been given for you to know it, digest it, and meditate upon it and live it. So, we didn't transition this one real well, to be honest with you. Um, so I'm going to ask you to stand, okay? And I want you to turn to someone and tell them how often you read the Bible. No, anyway. Um, if you turn... <laughs> Would you turn and just say hello to someone as Shelly comes and we'll share the announcements in a moment. God's word comforts and gives courage. I mean, it, it is this word that we talked about has this incredible ability. It has power. It purifies. It has this ability to guard us and guide us. And it has this ability kind of like that blanket, you know. 
Anybody have a kid who ever grabs a blanket in those times when they're just feeling not real secure? We're told in Psalm 119, verse 49 through 50, Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering. I know there's some suffering. I went into the ambassador class today because this week, Doris Sholand, who is just, some of you know, Monty and Doris Sholand, who started and founded Village School of the Bible, and just her passing away, and and, in the class of those 80-plus-year-olds who meet, there's pain. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise. This word gives life. And preserves my life. I found nothing as comforting as the word of God in my own times of difficulty and in times of insecurity. I just want you to listen to the word of God. And I'm not going to give you all the scripture references, but I'm going to give you these words. And just listen, wherever you may be at, maybe this will speak to you. He will go with you, sustain you, and strengthen you. You can read in his word, you are his beloved he believes in you when, when others don't. He will deliver you no matter what. He will hear you if you ask for help today. Even if chaos abounds, you will experience perfect peace. The waters may rise and get really high, but they won't overtake you. You're not laboring in vain. Keep at it. You will be rewarded. God sees what you're doing. He will reward you. If you're called to wait, you're going to be okay if you just are there waiting. Okay? That's what the Word of God says. He will fill you when you need it, just like He always has. He will keep you going. He will cause you to run. And He will cause you to not be weary. You're going to actually... Fly like an eagle. He'll sustain you in the drafts of his spirit. He will give you words and your words will actually have the ability in a situation to extinguish anger. You will find happiness as you share what you have with others. This life is not the end. Those of you who have experienced loss, you're maybe experiencing an anniversary of a loss. This life is not the end There is life beyond this life. He will abundantly pardon and forgive. He will abundantly pardon and forgive. Abundant even if you do it again the hundredth time. He'll guide you through rough spots and help you do the right thing. Carry on through sadness. There will be a day you will experience joy and it will replace all your tears. He will tame your doubt. That dream you have, that He promised, He'll fulfill it. When your eyes see only the negative in another person, the Word of God says, surrender your view of things and people. Guess what? He'll give you spiritual eyes to see as He sees. When you feel lost, take comfort. Because God says, if you seek Him, you'll find Him. And guess what? And when you can't find Him, guess what? He'll find you. And when you're feeling that no one loves you, the Word of God says that Jesus does. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you 
to eternity and back. And when you're tempted, like you may be today, to give up on yourself, God doesn't. He's got a covenant, which is a promise that he says that I will love you. And my love for you, this covenant of love, will never, ever fail. Boy, if you haven't experienced God's word in times of difficulty. One of the great ways to get to know God's word is you may not have a Bible right with you. And sometimes when you have that word, his word, that rhema word, the spirit of God will activate something that's in your heart and it will just lodge you in place. But God's word also encourages. It brings its great courage. You know, I think of the blank. I also think of the fact that God tells us that he, he places angels around us. They encamp themselves around us. There's a sense that, that he, he calls us. His word makes it really clear that we're not alone, that God is with us so that we can take risks. We can be really bold. We can be courageous. When we feel God prompting us to do something, then do it. When God is saying, here's where you should go, then go there. When God's saying you need to say something in this situation, then say it. The word of God gives courage. You're stronger than you think because Jesus is beside you. His word is in you and his spirit dwells within you to strengthen you. Remember, if God is for you, who in the world could be against you, says his word. So where in your life right now, where in your life do you sense God saying, step out in faith, take the risk? I want you to move into this because into this is blessing. And I'm with you. You may hear all kinds of voices saying you're, you, you know, you're not good enough. You look at your, the things you've done in your past. You may hear voices that say you don't have enough faith. Who do you think you are? You don't have the gifts or the talents to do this. You know, God's calling you to maybe move into something. Or God's calling you to set up a boundary to protect something. And He's saying, take the risk. Where in your life is God calling you to do that? God promises to go with you and have your back. Psalm 34, 7, one of my favorites is this word of courage. Even, even angels will camp around those who look to him and those who take the risk and look to him. He will deliver, it says. Another great verse. If you really want a verse about comfort and yet courage, memorize Psalm 91. Great, great chapter. He says at one point, do not fear. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand will fall at your right hand. But don't give way to fear. And a little bit later, he says, if you make this most high your dwelling and you live in this way, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in, your, in their hands as you step out in faith and take the risk. I, I love this little analogy because I was trying to think of what would be something. And I just, anybody watched Lion King before? little clip here that I want you to just watch. Come on, we're going to shut up right now. 
sorry. If you ever come near my son again. Oh, this is, this is your son? Oh, yours? <laughs> oh, did you know that? No, me? I, I didn't know. No, did you? No, of course not. Oh. Ed? That may be really silly, but think about it. When you're standing there and you're afraid and they're going, who do you, ha, and they go, you're a little row. What they don't know and what you don't know is who God has behind you. And just think, if you don't know that and you don't step on faith, you'll never see God activate. That's one of the things that just really even hit me lately. How many times when God is saying, take the risk, step out, go for it, and I fail to do it, I fail to see the power of God released. You don't know his word. You don't know what he says here. You will not. You will not. You will not know his ways and you will not experience the works of God in your life. God wants to show I'm going to ask you just to prayerfully consider right now these things and just go to the Lord. And just if you wouldn't mind just bowing your head for a moment, and I'm going to ask the servers for communion to come in at this point. And kind of with your head bowed, it may be in one of these areas that you need to think of one of those images in your mind. You may think of the power, the fact that his word comes with power. And he's calling you to have the faith to activate that right now. You may be thinking about the Word of God right now with regard to purity, and you need to know this love that kind of lifts and separates and as the Word comes in, purifies. It may be a wrinkle, there may be a stain that you're saying, Jesus, right now, come. And as we think about communion, what an appropriate time. If there's a stain or there's a wrinkle, Jesus says, just repent, recognize it. And he will remove your guilt. You can step out of your shame. You can walk into the washing of the purity of the life he's given you. And this is what this meal is about. As you take this meal, it's a reaffirmation of the fact that you are living on him and you have his life flowing through you. The pure, powerful life of Jesus. And some of you need to again say, you know what, this word is a guard. I've been outside it. I've been trespassing. I've been playing kind of high and loose, having my hand in the air, saying it doesn't matter what I'm doing right now. I think I know better. And this God who gives you his word is a guide who wants to light your way. You're saying, I think I'm smarter than you, but you might be called right now by the Spirit of God to just repent and, and maybe bring someone else into this. Not try and do this alone, but be accountable to someone This meal is another meal that says, God, my life, I'm going to just feed upon you and not upon what I think is right. I want to feed upon what you are telling me through your word is right. And some of you just need to come and know that this word is a word of comfort. Jesus died that you might have life. He's gone through your pain. He's experienced your struggles. And some of you take this, this bread and this juice It is to infuse you with courage, to take the risk. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've opened your heart to Him, I invite you into this meal. I invite you into this experience of communion with God through Jesus Christ. And may the Holy Spirit wash through you now 
as we take this meal. We consecrate and we set these, these elements apart to do what you've called them to do in this moment, in this time. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.